Hey guys, this is Caleb Before. This is our ninth episode on the podcast. My name is Stefan, and I'm going to let Dad take it now. Hey guys, how you doing? My name is Andre. Hey, this is Stephanie. Hey, this is Adrian. And, and this, this is, is Table, Table for Four. Four. And we're back. Yes. <laughs> the two boys haven't been in the last episode. Uh, they were a little deep, deep in emotional topics. You yeah. Know? So it, I guess the, they weren't, they didn't want to be included the first time in our last episode. They had homework to do because we were on vacation. <laughs> I think, I think the best thing to, to say is that some of the conversations may have not been um, child appropriate, yes, but that's the word. That's the. But it's still important to still have the conversations with them. But definitely, with the month of March, we are focusing on essential workers. So we have a very special guest today. Um, if Dad wants to introduce, yeah. So this is uh, the one year anniversary of uh, when New York City got hit with the pandemic. So everything shut down in March 2020. And a year later, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. And one of my closest friends that pretty much, uh, I've known him six years. We pretty much came up in the same rankings at work in the agency uh, for the state of New York. And uh, we're both essential workers. And he'll tell us about his experience dealing with uh, the pandemic and how he's dealt with it emotionally, mentally. And uh, it's my good friend, Byron. He is from Canada. And now he is an American citizen. And I think he was best fit for the show because he's number one he's one of the nicest guys i know nicest guys you'll ever meet yeah number two he has a bs in biochemistry so he'll tell us a little bit about the vaccine and number two he has a ba in psychology so he'll get into your mind yes (laughs) so byron how you doing byron welcome hey byron what's going on byron i'm doing great Nice. Thank you for having me on your show. No, thank you for coming along. It's always a pleasure um, talking with like awesome people on the podcast and getting to know a little bit more about you and learning about, you know, your perspective and um, and just your thoughts on how the whole thing is being an essential worker and just working during the whole time of this pandemic. So sure. I thank you again. I appreciate it. So I guess the first question I'm going to ask is like, did you catch the vid? <laughs> I did not. You did not. I did not. Oh yes, boy! I did not. So, is that a good um, thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I think it's a good thing. I mean, I I've never been through a pandemic before. I did not realize how serious uh, the news was. You know, it started coming out in November, December, and you know, I'm like, what is this coronavirus? I don't know what this is. You know, and it wasn't really. It didn't really land until like you know the stock market tanked, and then you know New York shut down. I think it got serious when like. Uh, California um, declared a state of emergency. And I'm like, this is kind of like getting out of control. And um, so when I started to pay attention, which was, you know, it took a little while. I started to pay attention, like this is might be a serious thing. Um, You know, I don't have, I don't know what to do. So my natural inclination is to rely on people who are experts in the field that right. have qualified opinions that, you know, have dedicated their lives to a certain study. So people may or may not like Dr. Fauci, but he's obviously served this country for years plus and is still the lead of like his uh, department. And, and then they came out with their campaign for like, you know, washing your hands, social distancing, Right. I didn't even understand what social distancing was. So I'm like, right. this is crazy. How do we how do we live in a society where we're distancing ourselves from each other? That seems very like anti-human. <laughs> and it was very, it was very, yeah, it was a very difficult concept, you know, to like be comfortable with. Cause I didn't really understand why, like how serious this was. Right. And I don't think, yeah, I don't think you were alone in, in trying to understand what this was. Yeah. So along with your confusion, I think everybody else was just as confused. Hey Byron, I have a question for you. Go ahead. 
What is a pandemic? Pandemic? Um, I'm not really sure. I know that there is an epidemic, which is like an outbreak of some sort of infection. And that a pandemic is something that is on a worldwide scale. So it's all over the world. So in this case, you know, coronavirus is a pandemic because you can find it in almost every country. Right. You nailed it. It says an event, which is a disease spread across several countries and affects a large number of people. So Byron hit it pretty much on the nail. So Byron, what were your, what was your first initial reaction when you heard about this pandemic? Um, in terms of like, how is it going to affect my life? How is it going to affect my work? Like, how how did you think about it? Or what was your first reaction when you when you heard about COVID-19? Yeah. I really was like going on for a ride. And I didn't know where I was going or where everyone else was going on this ride. Because it seems like, you know, in the lifetime that I've had so far, we've never really had something like, of this magnitude. So like, how, how do I know what to do? You know, what, what am I supposed to do? So as I said before, it was like, okay, I'm going to listen to the experts and I want to understand why they um, have their positions, like wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask. I mean, the wearing the mask thing was also like strange because like, we're not used to wearing masks. And right, like, right, 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 right. Like what, but I lived in South Korea for a couple of years and they had the SARS outbreak there. And so for a while in the wintertime, you know, school kids and some adults, they would wear masks through the fall and the winter. And I never wore masks. And I'm like, maybe it's a cultural thing in South Korea that you just don't find in Canada or the U.S. And then when we came, when I lived in New York and this thing was happening, I'm like, this is really weird. And then uh, I think the big thing that changed my opinion was I was watching an interview with Dr. Fauci, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were, they were talking about the, the lethal rate, how many people die okay. from having COVID. And there were like, you know, arguments that it's just like the flu. And, you know, he put it pretty, pretty nice that, you know, people who get the flu, maybe 0.01% of the people who get the flu will die. Around 0.01%. But he said at the at the time of that interview, the rate of death from people who had COVID was around 4%. Now that might not be like the true number because they don't know how many people have COVID because there's a lot of asymptomatic issues and all that stuff. And he he went in further and said conservatively, conservatively, we can say it might be 1%. And 1% means that like we have a hundredfold increase in a number of people that die from COVID and it doesn't seem to have any sort of like age or whatever. Like the older you are, the more likelihood that you could die. But, right, right. But he's like said, we're talking about one in 100 people. One in 100 people that have COVID is according to just the raw data will die as a conservative estimate. So, you know, that's the reason for a lot of the policy is like, unlike the flu, which it doesn't generally pass through asymptomatic carriers and the contagious period is not as long. Um, usually you're symptomatic, you go to the hospital, you're usually in some sort of manner getting quarantined for the rest of the population. But coronavirus, at the time they were learning about it, you know, the contagious period is like two weeks. Right. You know, and I'm like, this is this is crazy. So when he said, like, you know, 99% of the people will survive, but we're talking about 1% of all cases end in death. I was like, and that's like one in 100. I was like, that's pretty serious. You know, yeah. that's a pretty serious issue. Because uh, this is the reason why, you know, you really can't go see your parents. Because let's say I went and visited my parents and I was an asymptomatic carrier and they got infected and they died. Like, how do you live with that? And you I know, think how, that, how yeah, that? that's so sad because I know that many people have, have dealt with that. You know, yeah. like, then, it's so ahead. hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And then, like, you know, because I work in as an essential worker in public transportation, it's the strangest thing. I remember uh, heading towards Brooklyn and the hospital there, you know, they set up the tent. You know? 
It was like, what a hospital. When has this ever happened in my lifetime where they set up a tent and then you get like news articles of like, you know, ice, you know, refrigerated truck because the hospitals can't handle. Yeah. They couldn't, the uh, they couldn't of, contain yeah. the, the amount of, of people that the bodies. Uh, yeah. And then there's like pictures of funeral homes where like bodies were on the floor you yeah. know, because they just can't handle the volume. And I'm like, this is insane. So, you know, I was like, what's the safest thing for me to do? And that was just really to follow the advice. Just, you know, if you don't need to go outside, you know, stay home if you can. And it seems like a very anti-life kind of thing. Like you're just making a decision not to live. Um, but in the back of my mind, this is really like a temporary thing. Hopefully it's not going to last for a very long time, but it was like a temporary period. And hopefully the at the time that we would get a vaccine developed and that we can like work together because it's not going to be something that's going to um, get better if people aren't working together. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's so important that people work together. They follow the advice of the experts, whether you like it or not, it's really not going to harm you in a like injurious way. Like you're not going to get, um, physically hurt or whatever putting a mask on and taking a mask off is not something that's going to like physically disable you in some manner you know what i mean so it's like if if everyone was like wearing masks and socially distancing and washing their hands and stuff then we probably would have been able to function better as a society and have things going on because like we're limiting uh the spread of a contagious virus but that's just not how in in reality, like even just social groups all over the place, they don't, they don't comply at that high level. Like they don't comply at a hundred percent as people would wish, you know, there's people that are going to rebel. And so the people who are compliant are going to do it. And then the people who aren't are not. And that's just the way life is. And that's the reality. And so that's just the, that's why I just, you can't really trust the fact that everyone's going to be, you know, socially responsible. So I just didn't want to get COVID because it sounded like, you know, I have no idea if, it, if I would be asymptomatic or if I would have mild symptoms or if I would have severe symptoms. I, I really don't know. And I, I, I'm not interested in finding out. So like, <laughs> I don't think anybody is. Well, no, exactly. I'm just not interested in finding out. Cause, uh, I was just going to go further. Like I did break my ankle, um, like almost, 10, 12 years ago. And that's an experience I never want to have again because now <laughs> I had to get surgery. Yeah, I had to get surgery. I have a plate, you know, permanently in my ankle. It affects a lot of decisions that I make in terms of like if I want to play sports or whatever, because I don't want to break my ankle again. Right. So it's like I learned from that experience and learning about like possible lung damage that could be permanent. I'm like, no, I'm not interested in that. You know, I really am not interested in that. No thanks. Not, yeah, not, exactly. Nothing. Yeah. But, I don't want to lose my taste. I don't want to lose my smell. That's like, those oh, are oh, basic. I lost <laughs> my sense of taste and yeah. my sense of smell. My smell is not 100% back. And yeah, and you know, it's like people are like, oh, I'll take my chances and stuff. And like, you really need to appreciate how valuable, like, having full sense of smell and like, how valuable it is to have your taste buds to taste things. And the idea of like, for me to possibly live with like limited smell, I was not interested yeah, in that. It, it was so like, I, I, uh, like drinking water. That's how, that's the only way. I, that? It was like, it was yeah. like drinking a cup of water. Everything tastes like water, like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Can you imagine if you couldn't feel things or if you couldn't like see things, you can't like hear things. And smell things like these are so fundamental to our like understanding of the world. And I'm just like not interested in at all if I can prevent it the best I can. Like even losing right. my smell and taste. Like even when I got when I had it last year, and uh even now, like I feel like I'm not at hundred percent. I'm not at my hundred percent, you know, because you're not no, I, I I just feel like it's like the after effects of it, you know, like I had the dry oh, okay. cough that lasted almost like four or five months after. Right, right. Oh, okay. and, yeah, like persistent like yeah. that. Yeah, that's not, yeah. So I stayed, you know, the way I dealt with it is I stayed home pretty much the entire year. 
as sad as it to say, it's, it's really weird, but I never got, you know, I never got sick. I washed my hands. I kept my distance. And the only thing I really did was go to work and go shopping. And then I just, uh, you know, browse the web and <laughs> read books and trying to learn other hobbies and improve my cooking. And I bought like a art table so I can start drawing and things like that. Things that I'm interested in doing and developing skills for. So during that time that you were, um, you know, in your home, so how, how did you cope? I mean, so you, you said you brought things to help you with art, like what other, what what were other coping mechanisms that you had to kind of help you through, you know, getting through it? I started, started cooking more, um, just trying to learn how to like eat better. I bought like a vacuum sealer so I can single portion out food that makes it easier for me to cook by myself. Um, I started dry aging like whole cuts of meat just for fun. Yeah. Uh, we, I watched this YouTube we've had channel. a taste of that. Yeah, that was good. good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just as like things, things that I was like, oh, this is something interesting that I, I'm interested in doing. And then, uh, you know, I just read books. I'm, I'm thinking about a couple of writing pieces that I, I have in the back of my head. But also last year, um, you know, I was just coming out of a divorce. So it was kind of like good timing because I wasn't really ready to do anything social anyway. So it kind of like allowed me to just be a vegetable kind of at home and just let myself deal with, you know, that. But that that sounds like, that sounds like a lot on your plate in terms of dealing with that on top of this and on top of that. You know, when you're going through a personal difficulty or something like that, even though my divorce wasn't like an acrimonious one, it was a very amicable divorce. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. just like, uh, I'm just wasn't really interested in being out, being social. I, I was planning on doing it last year, but you know, if if things were normal, like going out, and joining groups, trying to make new friends, trying to like branch out, but uh, it was kind of like a blessing for me because I'm naturally like an introvert person, introvert person. So I was able to just have time for myself and and just like pass the time and and. And let let my emotions, whatever I was feeling that day, just happen and and not happen, and that's, that's about it. And I and then then I distracted myself by being able to go to work and, and all the other things. So. But before before COVID hit, were what were your circumstances like? Did you have any big plans for twenty twenty? I know for us and and our family, like you know, we love to travel, yeah. and, you know, and being yeah. told that you guys can't travel, it was like tough and having the yeah, school I mean, shut down and like what I think it you- was like like going to visit my parents but I actually started thinking about like visiting my brother in Toronto and then I started thinking about you know solo journeys through Europe like I have family in Europe I have like a cousin in Paris I have a cousin in London uh, another cousin in Denmark and another cousin in Sweden oh my god you have everybody so everywhere about, <laughs> yeah that's kind of like this thing about uh like Korean immigrant people is that they they're like their diaspora is like everywhere they spread around everywhere and yeah so I was like I was thinking about you know going to London and just getting a Eurorail pass and maybe visiting half of them and just you know doing that so that was like something that was on on my mind and uh but then I just uh I just didn't do anything <laughs> sad as it sounds but I mean I think it's not only you that has struggled with you know being alone or not being able to do you know the things that right. you wanted to do so like what were some of the other personal struggles you had you know during this pandemic and being under quarantine you know because i know that you're focusing on going to work but you know how did yeah, you main, do yeah how did you do that with mentally yeah mainly like the biggest struggle was like i feel particularly isolated because i moved to New York from Vancouver. So all of my social roots, the people that I grew up with, the people I went to university with, with, you know, my parents, my cousins, all the like family social traditions and, and dinners and stuff like that. I wasn't doing it here because like not a, I can't go visit them. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have deep roots here in New York. You know, I don't have high school friends here. You know, I don't have college friends here, really. So, um, I don't know. I just, 
I basically like just allowed that to shut me down. I already made the decision to shut down because I, you know, I didn't want to like struggle with the idea of like shutting down, but I just said, you know what, if I'm going to have to like shut down, I'm just going to let it happen. I mean, through, through your work, were, were you able to get resources to help you with that or, or or to speak to anybody? Cause sometimes you just need another ear, you know, actually the nice thing about work is that I really enjoy the, the work that I do. So every time I was able to go to work was like a really positive escape for me. And I also like a lot of the crews that I work with, you know, I'm very friendly with pretty much everyone that I work with. So being able to work with a crew is really nice. And then just seeing people whenever I could in New York, because New York always is going to have like this underlying level of energy. That's really exciting. So people like say that New York is dead. I'm like, you don't know New York. New York's never going to die. You know, (laughs) New York's always going to be, always going to be around. Everyone wants to live in New York. I know that's like a very hyperbolic, hyperbolic, like, expression yeah. but people want to oh, move to no I, they I, live in I hear that all the time we, we, we want to move out if someone we want to the ones that live here want to move moves out someone's going to move right. in like there's people that live all across even like in canada and in united states like if someone moves out someone's going to move in you know and there's always going to be an energy here and i always like the arts and and all that other stuff that new york has so that 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 fed me a lot so i really appreciated that but in terms of of your your work, like what are the other things that you look forward to? I know that with all the mandates being a little bit eased up now, they're allowing, you know, 50% capacity. Um, they're allowing, you know, schools to open up restaurants, venues. Um, I think the movie theaters are now open. Like out of those items, like what are what are some of the things that you look forward to now that they're opening up a little bit more? As opposed to, you know, what happened, you know, a year ago when everything just shut down. It's just nice to see like a gradual increase in the number of people that are, you know, coming into the city um, that are like going to work. Like that there is like a rush hour now. Uh, people and the, the, some trains and stuff, some uh, are more full. And I think there's a more confidence about being out. Because I, I would think that a lot of these people that do use public transportation have at least gotten their first vaccine dose if they've gotten it. So they have confidence to use the transportation system as opposed to um, last year when there was no vaccine available. So they felt a lot more vulnerable. So it's really nice to see things returning to normal. I just really enjoy being in service to the people of New York. It's like probably one of my deepest sources of joy to be like, helping people get to where they want to go. You know, I've always been a service oriented person. So being able to do a job that does that is, is something that I find least satisfying. But I mean, you mentioned how people are now growing a little bit of more confidence because um, they are having the availability of the COVID vaccine. So like, what is the direction you think that the country is going in? I mean, with, with the rounding out of all the vaccines and all new deliveries and things like that, like, what what do you think of the direction is, you know, with the availability with the vaccine? I know you said that you, I mean, you, you took it yourself, correct? Yeah. I mean, I was class in a group that allowed me to get the vaccine in, uh, what's it, in March, February, March, because I'm an essential worker. Right, because so you are an essential worker. Right, right. Yeah. And just my, uh, I have a very favorable opinion about vaccines and from my you know, studies in biochemistry, I, I couldn't wait to get it as opposed to some people who don't want to get it at all. I wanted it as soon as possible, you know, because I, that would give me, that would relieve me of, of a lot of anxiety and, and feeling of vulnerability, you know, especially in New York being a major city that has a lot of people coming in and out, you know, there's a chance that, you know, I could get sick. So I wanted it to get it as soon as possible. Um, and I don't, in terms of like the type of vaccine, what it is, it doesn't really matter. You know, you just get the, whatever vaccines available because that will provide your body with some level of protection. So I think the more that's available and more accessible it is, and, and also the number of people that do get it that show, uh, you know, positive signs, like the, 
rate of infections going right. down and there's nothing that's really like happening to them, then I think that's going to bring people's confidence to go get it. Right. Yeah. Along with the number of cases that are now falling. And then, and I know the big term last year, March was like flattening the curve. So that was always yeah. the big phrase that we need you to really stay home, social distance, wash those hands. If you don't need to go yeah. out, don't go out. And that's, I think that's what the term essential workers they were right. the ones that were out there, you know, during this whole right, pandemic. Right. We were out so, twenty four seven. I mean, yeah, like even that flattening the curve was really just to stop the spread, the spread of infection. Yeah, because like it's kind of grows exponentially. So you know, if one person gets it, I think they, I think it was rated like they give it to five to seven people. So every infected person spreads it to five to seven. And then those five to seven will spread it to five to seven. So that, that rate of infection is, is very fast. So, you know, flattening the curve is like, you just want to stop that exponential growth in the, in the infection rate um, and bring it down to a, a low level where you can manage the amount of people that are sick. But even right now, I think there's 50,000 daily cases like every day in New York or not New York, in America, I think which is way too high because, you know, outbreaks can occur with that kind of high number. Right. But obviously, you know, if it was, let's say 5,000 cases, new cases every day, that's a really much more manageable number, but this country's not at that point yet. So they need to bring, they need to bring the cases down in order to increase the level of safety of going outside and doing, doing normal stuff, but they're not there yet. I remember, uh, Last year, uh, you know, all the other states were looking at New York, like, what are we doing? Like, you know, because we were like the epicenter of the pandemic and right. and we're trying to flatten the curve and everyone's like, I think we were like a laughing stock for everyone shutting down, closing businesses. And then meanwhile, yeah, I think we did the right thing. And then after we started seeing that these cases started going down, now the rest of the country is going through it now. You know, they're like, whoa, like, yeah. You know, they didn't shut down right away. So they, they decided to to pretty much wait it out. And then by then it was too late. I just feel like it's convenient to ignore the fact that New York is like a hub. You know, it's a hub of like, you know, goods and sh like shipping and goods, tourism. Um, a lot of planes come through here. You know, there's a lot of ports. So it's just kind of like you know, a country that might be, or a state that might, or a city that might be in the middle of America that might not have those, you know, uh, points of where infection can spread. Right. So it's like, it's like, oh, New York is, is, is terrible, but New York got hit pretty bad, you know, being one of the first cities to have an outbreak. So to, to like ignore the fact that New York is like this world-class city, whereas other cities are not world-class cities, it's like, come on, you know, New York's going to have some challenges, but they were able to, you know, make some changes and bring things to at least some level of control. I don't think it's fully in control yet, but, you know, it was, it was pretty scary for a little bit, I think. It's like, you, you really didn't know what was going on. You don't want the public to become hysterical, like go out of control. Right. You, you know, didn't want them so. to panic and things like that. But Yeah, because then that would be really bad because then that kind of is a thing that spreads around is the hysteria or the panic. And uh, that's something that's even more difficult to control, even though it's not like a viral infection. It's like a psychological infection. Right. So it's important to be able to contain that. What are the disadvantages of being in Um, I mean, just basically exposure. You know, I'm always going to be exposed, um, interacting with people. There was, a, there was a bit of anxiety for a while that anybody that I saw, like, I wanted to avoid them. And it, it's a very unnatural instinct for me to do that. Like if they cough, I'm like, go the other way. You know? Oh, that was a big deal. Like I remember yeah. like people like would go to the supermarkets and anytime somebody, call, somebody like, called, you got the side eye, yeah. you yeah. like, oh, get away you, from you me. Yeah. Oh, what are you exactly. looking at? Like, get out. You still get that now. In Vegas, uh, one of the elevators we had to take, uh, the guy literally was like, yo, you can't come in here. You can't come in here. Too many people. Just pretty much like put yeah. his hands out. Like he didn't want anybody in the elevator. Yeah. We're like, dude, we're not coming and in. You know, like we know we see the amount of people yeah. in there. And, and the idea that, you know, there was this idea that you have, it, it, it would be better if you 
think you're infected to behave as if you're infected so that you know you don't go up to people and do do things where you if you happen to be an asymptomatic carrier that right. you spread it around so if you if you pretended or assumed that you had an infection then you your behavior would change that would be beneficial to you you know your larger community you know i live in an apartment building so it's like you know i was just trying to be careful for others as well so that's i guess like when i was as an essential worker as um you know what i'm saying was that you know i try to avoid people even though i wanted to help them <laughs> it's just weird because we're so accustomed to putting our hands out and you know to give a handshake Greetings. high five yeah. and greet people and now we yeah. are working we're like uh i'm sorry bro fist pump so it was weird in, in that type of sense we're like uh and the yeah. same thing you know like and now once you start seeing overcrowding especially in one of the rooms in penn station we're like I can't be in here. I got to get out of here. You know, like I think, I think another thing is that, you know, essential workers, you know, they come from different belief systems. So I'm right. always around other people that you know, I work with and they hold different opinions. And sometimes I want to engage in having a discussion, but I know it might be a difficult discussion. At so I just don't even have a discussion at all. I just go to another, you know, another part of the room or whatever. So, yeah. There's a lot of like conspiracy theories and stuff. And I'm like, I can't even, I can't deal with this. I have to go away. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite part of being innocent to work? My favorite part? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part is really just helping people get to where they need to go. You know, I, it, you know, the fun thing about my job is that people don't know how much I, I enjoy that. How is life? How is life, Byron? Are you okay? How I'm is great. life? I'm feeling great. I feel very optimistic, very hopeful that uh, things are looking really good. And I think things are, are definitely much better that we have vaccines. I mean, can you imagine if we didn't have any vaccines right now? I, I, I wouldn't even want to imagine how would I that be. I don't even want to imagine. I am so glad. Even if people are hesitant or don't want to have the vaccine, mm -hmm. it's just so much better knowing that we have vaccines. Absolutely. Right. I totally agree. It's so much better that even if you, you know, someone might have a thought of maybe getting it, it's available, you know, like it's available to get. I think it's a miracle, actually. Just like I think vaccines in general are miracles because of how many people's lives it's saved. My question was, have you ever planned a vacation but it was canceled because of COVID? No. Fortunately, I did not have vacation plans that I had to cancel. Uh, my brother did, and he was able to finally get a refund on his airfare. And uh, he told me that some people took half refunds, but he held out because he knew that um, those half refunds, people just want to get their money because they didn't think they'd get a full refund. But my brother, this is in Canada, was able to finally get a full refund. I if it was maybe another month or two, I probably would have made plans and I would have bought tickets and I would have like done this. But fortunately, I didn't have any of that. So I didn't, I didn't really lose anything in terms of finances and, and payment. So. Yeah, it's kind of sucks. When my brother had uh, and his wife, they had a trip planned out to Europe last year, like in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. they pretty much, they pay for everything, flights, hotels. Uh, yeah. to ride the, the Euro rail to cross country and stuff. And they had, they like had a to whole, cancel. Yeah, they had this you know, So they, they got a full thing. refund, but you know, it, yeah. it's yeah. unfortunately they had to cancel the trip. I had the idea, but I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't do anything about it. Because mm -hmm. everything, everything changed before I was able to do something about it. So, yeah. But um, I just want to take a step back in how um, your view about the vaccine itself um, if you want to dig deep and, and, you know, give your explanation or your understanding behind the science uh, and the misconceptions and, you know, along with the, the, the medical benefits or, or the advance, uh, the adverse reactions um, yeah. with the COVID vaccine, I would love for you to explain that a little bit to us. I have this very strong opinion about vaccines. I mean, I, I feel like uh, before everything happened last year with COVID, we were kind of living in a like a bubble where we live in a society all the things that we do like coffee shop restaurants going to a concert 
going to like weddings or professional games where we have a lot of mass gathering. You know, I, I always like to think of like this other thing, like a sweaty nightclub, you know, where it's really hot and everyone's like really close together. A lot of the things that we have in our life is because of vaccine. Right. And it's very hard to argue against vaccines if you look at how our quote-unquote normal life was before coronavirus. Because maybe people don't really realize that there are a lot of contagious viruses and other things that are out there that we have vaccines for and that they have almost nearly been eliminated because of the vaccine. So, for example, polio, polio smallpox, smallpox. smallpox. Um, measles is, uh, and I was doing research on this. Measles is so far the most contagious virus that we know of, and it's still so prevalent. Yeah, and it's still so they yeah. still have um, minor uh, outbreak. Right. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like you know, COVID or coronavirus is like you know direct contact with an infected individual um, because you might breathe in like you know uh, spit or some sort of mucus or something from that person. You still need to be in direct contact with someone to get sick from COVID. And they think that, you know, just by speaking, you're, the, the distance that you're, you're, your saliva might travel is around mm-hmm. six feet, which is the reason for the six feet social distancing. Mm-hmm. Measles is an airborne virus, which makes it a completely different type of virus. And they, they were thinking that COVID is airborne. but I thought, um, I thought that that was the idea, that, that COVID was um, no, transmissible I think, I think, through air. I think it's transmissible through air because the droplet would like because it's aerosol. Why? It's but it's not. It's not like an airborne virus like measles. Like which measles. Sits Got in, it. Measles will sit in the atmosphere, like in a room, for hours. So if you went to like, let's say you went into like a a lecture, like a classroom, mm-hmm. and there's yeah. like a hundred people there, and one person walked in that room that had the measles, the measles virus would sit in that air for hours. So nine out of, they, they think that nine out of 10 people would get the measles mm. in that room. And everyone else that walks into that room would also get measles nine out of 10 times because the virus, it, it doesn't have like a travel distance. It just sits in the air. Just lingers. Wow. Uh, that's, that's what an airborne virus is. And, mm-hmm. and COVID is more like direct contact. Someone has to talk to you you know, you got to shake their hands or whatever and then eat something and put your hand in your face or like you got to touch a surface that might have COVID on it and then, and then you touch your face or something mm-hmm. like that. That's how you might get infected. Or you walk by someone and breathe the air that they just exhaled, and which is the reason for the mask. For the mask, right, but, right. So there, there's this, like in my research, there was like this thing called an R value. R value meaning that if it's like an R equals one, that means the infection rate is stable. So, you know, if 100 people get better, then 100 people get sick, you know, infected. If it's less than one, that indicates that the infection rates are going down and it'll, if it'll be eliminated eventually. And then if the R value is above one, that means the infection rate is growing. So from my research, I was reading that COVID, they think the R value is around, I think it's 5.7. Wow. Mm. But measles is 18. Oh, Wow. <laughs> 18, no, thanks. 18, 19. But, you know, measles is not lethal, as lethal as coronavirus. It's right? not as so, lethal. I was just going to say it's not as lethal, right. but. It's not as lethal, but it still causes problems, especially for children. For children, and, absolutely. Um, and then the, the vaccine is so effective that you get lifetime immunity. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's amazing. So vaccines are really amazing, you know, uh, creations things developed by human beings and it's been studied and it's pretty well um, it's, it's extremely safe and the coronavirus vaccine even though it's new especially like the Pfizer and the Moderna even though it's new it's pretty safe because already from the data like millions and millions of people have taken it you know and there's really no you could see like people arguing that people have died from it, but there's also like a natural baseline rate of death from natural causes. So it's really hard to determine whether the vaccine caused a death or not. They may be linked, they may be correlated, but 
it's important, obviously, to study if the vaccine did cause the death. But right, right. Those two things are totally different. Um, but the, the idea that we could create a vaccine within months is something we really should be happy about. You know, like, how, how amazing is that? How amazing are we as a human, human society that we could make a vaccine that used to take years? That you can make it in a couple days and then you can run a trial to see if it's safe. You can determine this dosage and all this other stuff. But to make even like the South African variant that they're, they're working on. That the, they're working the on. Yeah. The, I've been, I've been they hearing the about. sequence of that, you know, the South African variant. They can make a vaccine in like a day and then start testing it. You know, it's like, it's amazing. We should be really proud of ourselves as a human society that we have this capability to do this because you know like earthquakes are natural phenomena volcano eruptions are natural phenomena tornadoes you know they cause a lot of you know pain and they cause a lot of damage outbreaks are also natural phenomena like it's going to happen we're probably going to have another outbreak at some point in the future whether it's lethal or not lethal or whatever but if there was like a very contagious and even more lethal outbreak where this period of like 2020 was really just like a trial run, a reality check that we've been living in a very safe vaccinated world where we have all of these really great, amazing social things that we do like concerts and weddings and Thanksgiving dinners and all that stuff. If there was an outbreak that was worse than what we have now, to know that we have something already that is currently being proven with the vaccine, that we could create something, run a trial with government funding, all that money, you know, to make sure that it's safe and efficacious and stuff, and then to get the data, that's an amazing achievement. And we should really be proud of that, you know. And that we can trust the human immune system to like people are like, what are the long-term effects of getting the mRNA vaccine? And really it's just immunity. It really is. There's really no, in my mind, there's really no threat of long-term effect because what it does is that the mRNA, your cells read it, it creates the protein that is important in the replication cycle of the virus. The mRNA is not a very stable molecule. It naturally breaks down in your cell, but it will produce some proteins that your body then reacts to and gets rid of. So then after like a period, you really don't have anything in your body except for your body recognizes that structure, that like the molecules, the molecular structure of the protein. So when you get your second dose, your body's like, what is this? We know what it is. And then that's why you get like the symptoms, like the headache, you know, the fever chills. The chills and right, so it's your body trying to figure yeah. out what's in your system. Because it's, it's your body that's saying, oh, we have some invader that we recognize and it's going to create an immune response throughout your whole body. You know, that's why you might get a headache, even though it might not be there. Your body is having an immune response all over. You know, and then that's a, actually a really good sign that the first dose did what it was intending to do. And that after when I when I got my second dose, it was like maybe half a day to just over a day where I had headaches, fevers and chill. And then it like went away, like as if I never had it. Except now I know that I feel confident that I have some level of immunity that if I go out in public. It's very unlikely that I would have severe symptoms if I got infected. Mm -hmm. Like a vaccine's not going to guarantee you're not going to get, you know, right, right. And infected. I think, and I think that that's the misconception with a lot of people is, oh, exactly. you know, that if I take the vaccine, I could walk around without a mask and things like that. I don't think that that's the the mindset that we should go with. Again, like no. you mentioned, you, your your body is preparing you to recognize and build immunity. That is how right. all vaccines work. In that right, sense. Right. So it's not right. there to say, oh, I don't have to still protect myself, but this right. is just another barrier to help me say, hey, you know, I have yeah. this. I feel good. I feel safe. Yeah. And exactly. this is how we move so forward. So now if you have the vaccine, the then mean chances are 
you you will get you will test positive, but you won't get as sick that or have severe like, symptoms. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like the flu vaccine. If you were to get sick, it would most likely be mild. Mm-hmm. Okay, mild it's, symptoms. Okay, it's almost very unlikely for it to be severe. And so far, the data is showing that uh, no one has died from COVID after getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Now that that's questionable because people say, "Oh, there have been people that died," but you know that could be from natural causes. Natural causes so, and other things. Yeah. Again, that's always that's something like that does you, come if up. If you go to an elderly, you know, an, an elderly population, and you vaccinate all of them, some of the elderly population are going to die just from natural causes because they're elderly. You know, there's they might have a heart attack or or stroke or whatever. It's really hard to determine if it's a vaccine, but the the overall benefit is great. You know, for whatever the cost, the dose cost, I think Pfizer is like $20 for one dose. If that prevents you from missing work, it's great. You know, if that prevents you from going to the hospital, paying a copay or paying hospital bills for $20, I'm definitely going to do that. If you had an opportunity to create um, a vaccine, would you do it? If I had the opportunity to create a vaccine? Yeah. Question? Yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. I would definitely love to. If I if I went into like genetics or biochemistry, bioengineering, I think that would be, you know, probably where I would have ended up in is, is to probably in that area. I was thinking about a career in genetics, actually. So, yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, why not? Why not? It's, right? It's, yeah. Why not? If it if it benefits society, like that's that's a great thing. It's a great thing to do. I mean, I guess, I guess the last question that I have for you is, you know, what message do you want the listeners to, you know, to understand and, you know, what it is to be an essential worker? Like, what is, what do you want the listeners to, you know, your message in terms of, you know, going out there and getting the vaccine and being there and working out in the trenches, you know, working during this pandemic and how to deal with it mentally, coping with that. Because I think the message Mm -hmm. is that you're not alone. I think that's what the message is. I think you, yeah. have, you have to recognize that you're not alone and that many people have, you know, struggled through this, you know, even after one yeah. year, after, you know, everything think, that all uh, the time that passed. I think it's, it's like, you know, people might have like some angst, you know, that develops that they don't know how to release in some manner. And it's easy to look at, you know, a particular group of, People, you mm-hmm. know, or a particular group of individuals, and then and then scapegoat and stuff. But I would just say to look at people as good, you know, in general. Everyone that's out working, doing their thing, essential workers, non-essential workers. Um, deep down, their natures are good. They they want to be good people. They want to uh, do good things, work hard, and that's something to be appreciate to, to appreciate. You know that people in general are good. And they want to help others. And that's what we should be really um, striving for is to help others and to appreciate others. Oh, no, I think, I think, again, I think you think you said it beautifully that we as a society, we're trying to do the best that we can, you know, exactly dealing with something that we would never in a million years would ever think that would happen to us and, you know, in our generation. So just to just the fact that you know, people are still dealing with it and, and that there are still struggles. And now there is some sort of hope now with the vaccine that's rolling out. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it gives hope and hopefully pushing forward and moving forward, you know, to positivity and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I think I think just just trying to find an interest that makes you happy and and just just appreciating other people. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, uh, I just think sometimes it gets really tough. You know, life gets really tough for a lot of people. So there's a lot of other greater issues at play in this country that you know, exacerbate. That's a different topic. Though. <laughs> All on its own. But um, Byron, I want to thank you again for coming and participating with us today. I mean, the, the amount of information that you have shared with us today. I awesome. mean, awesome today. I really thank, appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. Awesome sauce. You're welcome. Awesome sauce. <laughs> now that's my favorite phrase. I'll <laughs> <laughs> awesome we'll we'll see, we'll see you next time, time. we go camping. 
Yeah, because usually yeah. when we usually go camping, we, you know, you were first experienced with us going uh, camping with us. I, I mean, I know, I hope that you had a good time. So right. that I, was I, amazing. I, amazing. I invited, amazing. Right. I invited Byron because, you know, when one, we were, in a, we were in a pandemic, he's by himself and I felt like yeah. he was working too much. And he needed, yeah. a break. <laughs> he needed a break, right? Yeah, I was, I was working too much. Um, but I, 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 I definitely look forward to it again. Definitely, so, man. Yeah. End of August, hopefully. Uh, yeah, we're trying yeah. to figure. We're trying to get the dates yeah. together to see who can yeah. come and who's available. But you have to you make guys, yourself you guys available. Do it in a way that I didn't even realize it could be done. I was like, "This is amazing! <laughs> I can't believe how good this is." <laughs> it's July. Yeah. It's in July. It's you're, July. You're making okay, plans July? already. He's right. making plans already. But again, you know. Um, Again, I want to thank you again for participating and um, just letting us know, you know, your side. I mean, I can't appreciate, yeah. I can appreciate, um, you know, what it is to be an essential worker. Right. And you've been a great friend uh, to Andre. And, you know, I appreciate you guys, you know, having the opportunity just to hang out and just, you know, just cool and yeah. hanging out. You know, I appreciate you yeah. from participating with us today. Yeah. Um, so, cool. Adrian, if you can let us know uh, where to follow everybody. I'll let everybody know. Don't forget, don't forget to follow, like, share on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Table for Four. Listen and click the follow button where you can get notification on the newest episodes on all major podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker Apple. Radio, Radio Public, and you can follow us on iHeartRadio at Table for Four. And we're also on Amazon, Audible, and then we're on YouTube now. Nice. 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 Epicness sauce. <laughs> Epically epic sauce. So I want to thank you guys again for participating with us. We'll just let Tay say bye to Byron. Bye, Byron. Bye, Byron. Bye, Byron. Bye, Byron. Bye. Five people walking bye. off. Bye. <laughs> Beep. Take care. Five bye, people bye. walking Take off. Care. Bye. Until next time. Okay, bye.